Welcome to the Facts versus Feelings podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Dietrich, and I'm joined by my co-host, Sonu Varghese. Cutting through the noise in 30 minutes each week, taking out the boring and helping investors focus on what really matters. A quick note before we start the show, investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC registered investment advisor. Carson Partners, a division of CWM LLC, is a nationwide partnership of advisors. Welcome to the 27th episode of Carson's Facts versus Feelings. I'm Ryan Dietrich, Chief Market Strategist, and with me as always, Sonu Varghese. And Sonu, tell us your title one more time. It keeps changing. <laughs> Global Macro Strategist. Global Macro Strategist, a man amongst many, many talents. Well, Sonu, there's so much to discuss this week. We're gonna we're calling this one yelling past each other, which if you paid attention last week, Janet Yellen and the Fed seem to be on different pages. There's a lot we want to talk about, Sony, but first things first, I heard there's an election in Chicago and you keep getting phone calls. So if you get a phone call during this, just take it and all man the fort. What's going on in Chicago right now? It's not going to be one phone call I take. I'll have to take four or five. Okay. So we have a mayoral election that's gone to a runoff. My local Alderanic election's also gone to a runoff. So I'm getting double the number of calls than most of the people in Chicago here. So you wow. think with just four candidates, there's only so many posters and cards you get in the mail. But yeah, now they're calling too. So uh, pardon me if I have to run and Isn't take a phone to listen to when you, the pitch. Yeah, there was a time <laughs> when you got phone calls, you thought you're important. Now we can't stand phone calls when they're doing it like that. But again, this is the 27th episode of Carson's Facts versus Feelings yelling past each other. So now we're going to take a look at, again, the Fed last week, what they had to say, Janet Yellen saying something that ran kind of counter to what, what was being told by the Fed. And then just kind of the latest with uh, Silicon Valley Bank and the banking crisis. We're going to take a little bit of a look at gold. We're seeing gold starting to shine a little bit. We're going to say why we see potentially some better times coming there Then a little bit of an economic roundup. And then we'll finish things off with a look at kind of market sentiment, which remains extremely dour. Not too surprising looking at kind of what's been going on, but maybe from a contrarian point of view, that can be a sign that we could have a spring rally continue. So, Sonu, let's just start off with things. On Wednesday last week, the Fed did hike rates for the ninth time, 25 basis points, fairly as expected. Um, You know, but a funny thing happened, right? During the Q&A, everything was nice and calm. And then the market started, Jerome Powell was talking, market started to sell off. And looking back, what we found out was Janet Yellen was off talking somewhere at the exact same time in charge of the Treasury. And she made it, whereas Powell made it sound like, you know what, you're a depositor, things are going to be backstopped, don't panic. He kind of said that in so many words. She said, you know what, I'm not even thinking about increasing FDIC insurance yet over at the Treasury. Um, And then the market sold off. That's why we're titling this Yellen Past Each Other. You've got a week to think about it. What is going on with the different uh, different views on kind of what's going on with um, how we should backstop things and what uh, what this crisis means? Even after a week, I still don't know what exactly <laughs> they mean. Now, time out real fast. You've got a Fred shirt on. That's the uh, St. Louis Fed database. Yes. Anyone that wears a Fred jacket has to know everything in this world. That's really cool, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> no, it, it, it was. I had to rush to get these things. It's about a year ago or something. But speaking of the Fed and former former Fed chair and now current mm-hmm. Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen. I mean, look, you never want to, you know, these people, these folks have tough jobs, right? And the last couple of weeks are just one of those periods when the job gets even tougher and there's a lot of firefighting that has to take place. But there are different, you know, there's the Fed, there's the FDIC who yeah. insures deposits 
and there's treasury. You think all of them should be on the same page. We want everyone to be on the same page, uh, especially in times like this. And like you said, the 25 basis point interest rate increase, 0.25% to what, where are they now? 4.75 to 5%. Yeah, the upper range is five. Mm -hmm. Yeah, It's 5%. So they've hit that. It's kind of expected. I mean, but this is a very important meeting. And and as you said, the irony being, you, you just said like, Things were calm, right? That's not what we associate with these things, right? <laughs> things are calm, but but they were, right? The S&P actually rallied about 1% after the decision was released. And uh, as uh, Jerome Powell, the Fed chair, was giving his press conference, and then boom, Janet Yellen in front of the Senate, her comments hit the tape, right? And what she said, she was asked about, oh, will there, is there going to be a broad increase in deposit insurance? And she just says, Oh, it was not something we have looked at. It is not something we considered. Hello, say what? <laughs> Which is shocking, by the way. It's all, it's all anyone's talking about. <laughs> I know, literally for the last two weeks. And Powell, at the same time, had literally just said, depositors should assume their deposits are safe. Mm-hmm. Right? Talk about you know yelling past each other, right? <laughs> and so I'll jump in. So we've got that. Now, the good news is since then, it seems like calmer heads have prevailed. We've bounced, obviously, since the, thir- the the very heavy sell-off on Wednesday. One thing I want to point out about Wednesday's sell-off, though, is it was a bloodbath on Wednesday afternoon. Yeah. Um, the final 90 minutes, really, since those different the, comments. The, the we, market fell 2.5% after Yellen's Okay, yeah, comments. so yeah. big big drop. But the good news, Sona, is we did see high yield actually up that day, right? So that was one small little sign that, you know, if, if everything was truly spiraling out of control, I think I'd see, I think I'd expect to see high yield weaker. Now, Sonu, let me see. I had something I was going to ask you here. Let me just make sure. Um, Fed cuts, actually. Okay, he said the word tight 23 times. He being Jerome Powell at his Jerome um, Powell. at the conference. 23 times he said the word tight versus eight last time. What? Um, maybe they asked him a question and the answer was tight 23 different times. Maybe that's what <laughs> happened. But why did yes. he say that word tight so many more times than last time? I, look, uh, they... Are, he's talking about the labor market, the labor market mm-hmm. being tight, right? So when he says the labor market is tight, what does that mean? That means supply is a lot less than demand, demand for labor. And and for his metric, and, you know, you and I have talked about this. We don't think job openings are the greatest metric because right. people put a poll, you know, it's not very hard to put an opening out there. Who knows how long it will take to get filled and may just remain there, right, on Indeed or ZipRecruit or whatever. Right. I, I mean, the BLS does a nice job in trying to measure these things and accounting for that. But still, but that anyway, you know, irrespective of what we think, Powell likes it. And that's what matters. Right. He likes job openings. Job openings are about close 10, 11 million or so. It's still very high. Right. Especially the ratio between job openings to unemployed workers is close to around two, which is much higher than it was before the pandemic. It was about one point two or something. It was off the top of my head. So. But at the same time, you know, supply is not there. I mean, the unemployment rate is at 3.6%. It went up from 3.4%, but it went up for good reasons, right? It's because more people started looking for jobs. And so the BLS started counting them also as unemployed. You know, they came from out of the labor force back into the labor force, right? So that's actually a sign of, you know, a healthy, very healthy labor market. Powell would say too healthy a labor market. And that's why he's talking about a tight labor market. 
Uh, exactly. And, and I, I want to thank everyone who listened to last week's podcast with Professor Siegel. We've hit a record number of listens, record number of downloads. That's really cool. Remember what Professor Siegel said? He said a lot of good things. If you didn't listen to it, go listen to it. I actually listened to it again just yesterday, just some new tidbits. Oh, I, I, I gave the interview and I forgot what he said half the time. There was so much good stuff there. But he said, you know, everything that just happened with Silicon Valley Bank is almost equivalent to two to three separate 25 basis point hikes. Again, is Things are going to slow a little bit. Lending's going to be tougher. If you're a small regional bank, are you going to really give that loan to you know someone who's a little bit more questionable when the regulators are out there? Mm-hmm. So, Sonu, in a way, you know, I don't want to always just be glass half uh, half full here, but in a way, what happened with Silicon Valley Bank is kind of doing some of the Fed's work, is it not? Yeah, and Powell literally said that he said yep. uh, uh, markets obviously expecting 025 percent, twenty five basis points uh, increase in the Fed funds rate. They did that. But more, I think the bigger question was, what are they going to do with their dot plots? What are the dot plots? Yes. This is their estimate of where uh, interest rates will be in the future, right? Uh, over the next, you know, at the end of 2023, 2024. So before the SVB crisis hit, until March 8th, remember what was happening? I mean, it's still kind of happening. All the data was looking positive. We had stronger employment data, stronger retail sales, consumer spending, and of course, stronger inflation as well. So Powell and all the other Fed officials were sort of guiding uh, markets to think, okay, rates are probably, you know, back in December, we said rates may end up at 5.1%. Right now, we think it's going to be higher than that. And I think markets are thinking it will go up to about 5.6%. Then, of course, March 9th, the SVB crisis hit. Everything just turned upside down, almost, almost upside down. We don't think it's completely upside down. Things are sort of back to normal. So... I don't want to say things are, you know, we're in a huge crisis or anything like that. I think we have passed that. But expectations have come down, right? And what's interesting is after the SVB crisis hit, so before Fed meetings, they have something called the quiet period, yes. right? This is a period when Powell and other Fed officials don't give any more speeches. It's I'll just jump in. Right? It's one of my favorite yeah. periods because <laughs> they're not talking. Every day all we talk they're about is some random Fed person I never even heard of has some comments <laughs> talk about i love the quiet period yeah. yeah no that's great except that we had a crisis so it was anyone's guess as to where policy would go and but i think markets had some sense that okay they're not going to be as hawkish as we expected them to be and that turned out to be the case they came in they get, released their expectations the dark plot and they basically left the 5.1 percent terminal rate for 2023 more or less intact right mm-hmm. and uh and, and that's because, like you said, the Fed is expecting credit to tighten because of the banking crisis. And that's, you know, that will work as a substitute for rate hikes. Yeah, what's interesting is, okay, the Fed is saying, you know, maybe rates, you know, 5.1 is a terminal. But you look at like the two-year yield, like we talked about <laughs> the last couple of weeks, dropped from 5% to 4%, 10-year yield lower also. So the bond, might, bond market might not be, uh, you know, buying, buying what the that. Fed is selling there. But none, nonetheless, well, we've, we've wrapped up the Fed pretty well. Let's take a just a minute or two here on Silicon Valley Bank and the banking fallout. I'll just put it like this. So new. We haven't had any more bank failures in a couple of weeks. I know that's like how <laughs> that's pretty low bar, but hey, I'll take it. And then we saw Silicon Valley oh, yeah. Bank was just bought out yesterday. And oh my goodness, was it who bought them out? So first citizens, citizen. first citizens bought them out. That's a ba- I didn't realize this. They're a bank in Raleigh. So a little old bank on one yeah. side of the coast bought a bank on the other side of the coast. And again, it was a really sweetheart deal. The bank that sold, that bank was up like 50% on the buyout. Yeah. Um, so hey, that's a good what sign. What do you think? No, that's a great sign. Like when a, 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 
I, and I think the weekend after, you know, it's it's funny the, how all of these things happen in March. You think back to March, what was it, March uh, 2008, right, when Bear yeah. Stearns fell? March and Madness. That was also March, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and suddenly over the weekend, the Fed jawbones some other bank into, you know, into buying the failing bank. And we thought that would literally happen. But I think what the Fed, FDIC, Treasury uh, didn't want to happen was they didn't want the big banks to get even larger and buy this, you know, but Silicon yep. Valley bank wasn't, it, I mean, they lost a lot of assets and deposits, all of that, but they weren't exactly small. What they were the 14th or 16th largest bank, something We've like 16th that. 16th largest bank with 17 brick and mortar stores or, or right. banks, um, locations. Banks. Kind of thing. Located, yeah. 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 So they weren't exactly small. Right. And I, I think, uh, the authorities didn't want the big banks to gobble yet another one of these. So they were waiting for a smaller bank, but of course, everyone was worried about small banks. I mean, you know, yes. is there a crisis at small banks? So that's why I think the very positive sign that this bank, First Citizens, as you said, based in Raleigh, you know, they basically doubled their size, right, to about, yep. what, $220 billion in assets or something like that, which is, I think, just about where SVB was before the crisis. I believe they were the 20th like largest bank at the 20th, start yeah, of the something year. Like that. Everything's been oh, you know changed. What? They may, but, yeah. Maybe they were in... 25th or 30th or something. I think sure. they've been smaller. But but they've got a history of gobbling up these, you know, I don't mean that in a bad way, they, of buying out mm-hmm. some of these troubled banks. I think last year they bought, uh, it's called, not Citigroup, it's called City or something like that. It wouldn't which, be Citigroup. <laughs> it wouldn't be Citigroup, no. They bought, and, and they are the ones who bought out, do you remember Indie Mac? Yes. From way back yeah. when, that, right. you know, the failed mortgage lender back okay. in the, from the 2008 crisis. So they're the ones who bought that out. And now, you know, SVB, Indy Mac, they're all part of the same umbrella under First Citizens. Talk about things coming in full circle. Want to know more about the impact the 2024 election may have on the markets and the economy? We'll be covering everything advisors and their clients need to know in the lead up to Election Day, including what to expect from the markets, news out of Washington, and what historically happens after elections. You can find all of our 2024 election content at carsongroup.com slash election. Wow, that does. And like you said, full circle is March and it is March Madness. And just to call you out, two weeks ago, you said Purdue would win oh, the whole thing. You can I hide under my desk? For 16, so, <laughs> no, and I and remember, everybody, if you don't believe me, go back and listen to the tape. It's kind of fun what Sona and I do. Sometimes we're dead wrong. <laughs> sometimes we're right. <laughs> I did say UConn would win the whole thing two weeks ago. Wow. I'm a Xavier fan. So that was my heart, but my brain said UConn. Now the time we're recording this, they're in the Final Four. We'll see. We're not making this all about sports, but you know, every once in a while I get one right. But how about the final four? No one wow. seed, two seed, or three seed. And this is That's one of the craziest amazing. marches we've ever seen from markets. Maybe it's all related. So, new one of the potential um, benefactors to all the crisis and all the things that are going on is gold. Gold is something that we do have a small sliver of gold in some of our, our models and portfolios that we run for our Carson Group advisors. But you and I are seeing some things on gold that we that we like. I'll go first, and you can go second. Yeah. What I personally like, for 12 years, gold went up, all right, from 99 to 2011. 
the last 12 years, gold has gone absolutely virtually nowhere. It's gone sideways. It was down, yes, but virtually nowhere for 12 years. I look at an asset class that went up for 12, sideways for 12, and now it's showing momentum, showing some signs it wants to break out. You'll break, you'll break down some fundamental reasons here in a second. But I like that, that you know what? That's an asset that hasn't moved for a while. It might be getting ready to move. Yeah, it's a big heavy rock. Doesn't mean that thing can't move up, though. Um, so that's one thing I like about gold. What are you seeing that you think could be um, – again, we're not saying the end of the world's coming. We're not saying we see hyperinflation. Yeah. We're just saying there could be a pocket of time where gold could do okay here. What are you seeing? Now it's it's funny like uh, you and I look at probably look at gold differently, but we mm-hmm. we're kind of we've gotten to the same place, right? <laughs> just we think it it may not be a bad yeah. time for it, you know, from just a price perspective. And those cycles, right? Those cycles are important. Like you take a twelve year cycle from two thousand to two thousand ten, eleven, twelve, and then now, you know, mm-hmm. then going sideways after that. And who knows? We maybe in at the beginning really of yet another cycle that may last the next decade. So. I mean, you just said you you said it right. Gold is a big heavy rock, which means you have to store it, mm-hmm. right? And if you have to store it, that means you have to spend money storing it. Now that's a cost, and there's always opportunity cost with these things. And that's where real I think of gold with respect to or relative to real interest rates, right? Nominal yes. interest rates minus inflation or expected inflation. So if real interest rates are negative, which they were for a good part of the last few years, I mean. You know, from before 2021, but even in 2019 and all the real interest rates are negative. Now, if real interest rates are negative, there's no cost, opportunity cost to paying to store gold, right? Because you're not going to get anything at the bank. In fact, it costs you money over time to put money in the bank, right? Because real interest rates are negative. But now real interest rates are positive, right? Mm -hmm. And over the last year, the irony is when the Fed raised rates, real interest rates went up. Gold actually fell when, you know, we had the highest inflation in 40 years, which is the irony of it, right? Most people think of, oh, yeah, gold is what I want to have and inflation's high. The first eight, nine months of last year is not when you wanted to have gold. But then some some things changed after that, right? The dollar went down, right, from October onwards. And real interest rates sort of like stabilized because the Fed was, I think markets are expecting the Fed to be done. And gold just surged, right? And we've seen that even over the last two weeks, right? Gold, you know, real interest rates came down because growth expectations, you know, fell because of the crisis and all of that. Mm -hmm. So the irony of it is that gold is sort of like a hedge for crisis, right? It's a crisis hedge. So I I, I think we're not saying there will be a crisis or anything like that, but just from that perspective, as a way to sort of have a little bit of a hedge, Mm -hmm. diversifying away from, you know, you don't want your diversifier to equities being all in, you know, long duration bonds, right? 10 plus, 20 plus, 30 year treasuries. You want to diversify that as well. And we think gold is a good option. Yeah. I mean, you look at last year, right? Stocks are down 20% on the S&P, long-term bonds down close to 20%, shorter-term bonds still still did poorly. Gold was virtually flat. And I think you look at the big rally we had in the dollar last year, even the first eight, nine months, gold was hanging in there relative in the face of a strong dollar. So maybe it was a signal that the gold can hang in there when the dollar is strong. Now the dollar is weakening our base case, maybe Mm -hmm. gold can do better. So anyway, so gold is something that we're we're, we're actively looking at here um, in some of the models we run for our advisors and maybe 
I'm going to do something there. We see some potential sparkling as it becomes to gold. Um, so we've got, you know, about five minutes or so. So let's see if we can do this. Last week, we had some economic data of various PMI services. Manufacturing came in much better than expected on Friday. Also, durable goods um, came in. And although the headline number wasn't that great, I know if you look at... Um, What's the one I wanted to say? The uh, one that was up 0.2%. What was that? Yeah, was core that? goods. So you have durable core. goods orders, which are businesses buying, you know, things like cars and computers, electronics, machinery, stuff like that, right? Yep. But they also buy aircrafts and aircraft orders are very volatile, right? So the headline number is usually, because of what aircraft orders do, they can be all over the place. So you look mm -hmm. at core goods spending and, and there's defense in there, but you take defense out because, you know, yeah. the Pentagon does what the Pentagon does. You know, for good. Yeah. And so uh, if you take every other business in America and see, okay, what are they spending? We like to look at CapEx. This is basically an estimate of mac CapEx at the macro level, right? Mm -hmm. And that was up, uh, what you said, 0.2%, right? In more February. than expected. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't expected. Yeah. I think it was expected negative or flat. So that's yep. a positive sign that businesses are still investing. I think that's that's a great sign. No, absolutely. And then we also saw some data from our friends at Bank of America. They look at debit cards and credit cards weekly. So the very first week after all the stuff happened with the banking crisis, they said, you know what? We didn't see a slowdown in spending on credit cards and debit cards. Yes, only one week in. But again, that's something that we talk a ton about. One of the big reasons why we feel like we're on a lonely island, not expecting a recession this year is because the economy uh, I'm sorry, because the consumer remains fairly strong. And that's just another potential data piece there. So so we saw some better ISM numbers. We saw that. I think there was something else I some, wanted to point out. We some were... purchasing PMI data yeah. came out from the S&P. Yep. S&P Global releases PMI estimates for the month. And they do this a week before the end of the month. Usually we get these things at the beginning of the month. But obviously everyone wants to be first in this business. So they release what's called yes. a flash estimate. Right. And uh, those are positive. Like, I, I think the manufacturing PMI for the U.S. went up from 47 to 49. So if it's below 50, that means majority of the respondents think, you know, orders and things like that are going down. So 49 yeah. is still it, it still says manufacturing sector is under contraction, but it's better than what it was over the last five months. Right. And the services sector actually jumped to about 53. That's also the highest in, I think, 11 months or so. That's that's really positive. Yeah, I've got written down here 53.8, an 11-month yeah. high, expected 50. And then the composite, so combining the two, also came in over 53, better than expected. Sono, you look at about 20 <laughs> different um, you know, global economies uh, uh, economies around the globe. And, and what, we've, what you've noted the last couple of months, we've seen a lot of the manufacturing data. Yeah, maybe they're all, not all, but a lot of them are still beneath 50. But again, they've yeah. bottomed and they are increasing. They're all turning around. Yeah, yeah, the final thing, the Atlanta Fed GDP now, uh, first quarter estimate, as of Friday at least, was 3.2% in the first quarter. I get it. That's backward-looking data. I've said it before. A lot of people, well, it's backward-looking. Yes, but at the end of January, they expect to be up less than 1%. So we're looking at yeah. maybe 2.7% growth in the fourth quarter. Let's say maybe another 3% in the first quarter. You know. <laughs> The economy just keeps surprising to the upside is the best no way kidding. to put it. Um, anything else? By the way, we're not. Coming? I'll just say we're not quite done with this quarter yet, right? I mean, True, good or bad, so, we're not. Yes, we're not done with the quarter. As much um, as we would like to be, but we'll be done. You know, probably as this episode comes back by the end of the week. It, so, absolutely. But this is um, my thing, right? The economy is, you know, expect you take 
you know, you don't probably don't want to take the Atlanta Fed number at face value 3.2%, but let's just say somewhere between 2 and 3%. That's fantastic. Yep. That's very good. Because everyone, as you said, came into the year saying we're going to grow only about 0. 0.4, 0.5%, right. if not have an outright recession, right? Even the Fed just came out with their, as I said, the dot plot statement of economic projections, mm -hmm. a summary of economic projections. They said the you know, the growth in 2023 is going to be only 0.4%. Wait a minute, for that to happen, if the first quarter grows about 2 to 3%, that means things have to come to a crashing standstill yes. for the next three quarters. Just as the world economy is getting better and activity is increasing, as we just talked about with the PMIs, right? So right. I don't know. I don't buy that. No, I, I don't. I don't either. But well, that's why we do this podcast weekly, and we will keep diving into all the data. Um, you know, we've got like just a minute or two left, Sonu. I remember a while back, maybe two months, I bought some toothpaste, and I put it out. Oh, yeah. And it was the, dark. It was like dark black. And I go, "What in the world is this?" The cold one, wife, right? And Emily's like, you bought charcoal toothpaste. And I look, and believe me, if you looked at the box, you'd never know in a thousand years it's going to be dark black toothpaste. It looks like regular bright blue happy crest toothpaste on the outside. I just finished that toothpaste, and oh, a lot of people go. got a kick out of that. So I, I and I'm not buying charcoal. Are you buying another it one? Worked fine. Oh, okay. You know, I, I mean, whatever. It was fine. I went back to just a normal colored toothpaste. But be careful to all the listeners out there. Um, there is a charcoal colored toothpaste by Crest out there, and um, it works fine, I guess. But I officially finished it, and I'm back to regular kind of whitish color toothpaste. Are you, are you going to leave a review thing. somewhere but, on Amazon? Are you going to leave a review? Or no, I'll be nice. I mean, I, I, my big review is like if it's black toothpaste, like make it clear on the box on the that cover. I'm buying black <laughs> toothpaste, you know. But whatever, it's it's all right. If that's the worst thing that happens. I can live with it. Um, final thing I want to talk about very quickly, and I'll just kind of do this soon and wrap it up. Market sentiment remains extremely dour. Not surprising when we see everything going on. Bank of America does a global fund manager survey. We've talked about this before. Look at about 20 different asset classes. Cash is the most loved, while U.S. stocks is the most hated, and equities is the second most hated. So again, that's just something, and now believe me, there we notice emerging markets with the second most love, so it's not quite so clear cut. But the truth is, a lot of people are skeptical of what's going on, rightfully so. But as we just talked about the last half hour or so, there really are a lot of positive things that are happening with all this negativity that's out there. Just think about this. The month of April is historically pretty strong. The month of April in a pre-election year is up 17 out of the past 18 times in a pre-election year. We're about to go in April. We think a surprise spring rally could happen. And Sony, one final comment. I just crunched a bunch of numbers this morning. There's something called the December low indicator. What does that mean? Well, if stocks, be the S&P 500, break their December low during the first quarter, bad things can happen. We saw that last year. That was a warning sign. Stocks are down on average when this happens for the full year and up less than 50% of the time when they break the December low in the first quarter. This is going to be the 37th time that that did not happen in all likelihood unless we have a major sell-off the next couple of days, which let's hope we don't. Um, but looking at those 36 times, Sonu, where you held above the December low, for the full year, you were higher 34 of those times, up about 18.5% wow. on average. So just, just a lot of numbers and a lot of things I just said. What I'm trying to say here is this is another little subtle clue that, yeah, I get it. Headlines are scary. But with this much negative sentiment, with the market that's hanging in there, there could be uh, an upside surprise. Well, Sonu, uh, we do need to wrap it up. Any final comments for the uh, listeners before we uh, send, uh, send them away on the um, 27th episode? 
No, I think it's all good. Uh, thanks for your support. And uh, we'll be back here week after week doing the same thing. I mean, you know, so it's been going well. Yeah, we're really excited. As long as everything goes smoothly, uh, Sam Rowe is yes. going to join us. He formerly at Yahoo, an excellent, excellent uh, writer, economist, just all in all great guys. So Sam will be on the podcast next week uh, with Sono and myself. We're looking forward to that. And and absolutely, thank you to all the listeners who keep listening. We, again, last week was amazing. If you didn't get a chance to listen to Professor Siegel, check it out. Um, but with all of that, we will continue to do this podcast every week. If you guys keep listening. And with that, the 27th episode of Carson's Facts Versus Feelings is in the book. See everybody soon. Bye-bye. Information provided on Facts Versus Feelings with Sonal Varghese and Ryan Dietrich are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. The statements and opinions of show guests may not be reflective of CWM LLC or its affiliates. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested in directly. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. No strategy assures success or protects against loss. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial or tax advisor prior to investing. Guests on Facts versus Feelings are not affiliated with CWM LLC.